This is Get a Load of This Podcast, where we cover topics for truckers and entrepreneurs alike. Our guests are coming straight from the trucking industry and industries that directly influence and impact the truckers and trucking companies. We want to bring tremendous value to today's leaders and entrepreneurs and our future of the trucking industry. The common passion amongst our hosts and our guests is one thing. It's you. It's you, the people that make this country move, the trucking industry. Enough with the introductions. Let's get this load on the road. We are your hosts, Thomas, Cameron, and Ryan. Let's get rolling. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another show at Get a Load of This Trucking Podcast. As always, your host, Cameron Pishi. I am the founder of Valley Trucking Insurance, which is who drives this uh, podcast. Um, and with me, I've got special co-host Ryan Young coming out of Vancouver. He's an insurance agent that works with me. Ryan, what's happening, brother? What's going on? Good morning, everybody. It's a bright and early How is, 9 a.m. <laughs> How's the weather up in uh, Canada, Vancouver, uh, Canada? Off and on miserable. Yesterday, it started at like... 48 degrees in the morning and then it was 75 it was 48 and rainy and it was 75 and uh sunny and gorgeous in the afternoon so i have no idea how the weather is because i don't think it does either so <laughs> you dress in layers your down coats and the canada brands yeah and i was literally wearing tennis. like i was fully covered in the morning in a raincoat and then in the daytime i was walking around in sandals and shorts so i'll tell you how the weather i is. love it man that's yeah. awesome yeah diverse weather just like a diverse city Mm-hmm. So, which I'll be getting up to you here this year. I'm excited for that trip. Likewise. Yeah, man. And with us today, I've got special guest Benjamin Kowalski. And Ben comes to us with uh, an awesome resume. He is the co host of Freight 360. Uh, he also comes with some accolades in business coaching. And I w- I'll let him explain, you know, everything that he does. But I'm very excited to chat about that because I think that um, coaching is an underutilized tool in people's repertoire. So, um, Ben, how you doing, brother? Thanks for joining us today. Doing well. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, excited to kind of jump into it. I have the opposite end of the weather spectrum. It is just hot and miserable every single day right now until about September. Like just 97 degrees and 100% humidity. That's awesome. But we'll deal with it. We get 10 months of good weather down here in South Florida and two months of horrible weather. Yes, man. And I guess uh, you don't have the same problem that Ryan has when he's coming in and 40 degrees in the morning. You don't get that probably until the wintertime would be my guess. Yeah, I think there's maybe a handful of days that ever hits 48 degrees even throughout an entire year. So we're, we're lowest we're usually seeing is about 60, high 50s. But I used to be a huge skier, and I've always wanted to get up to Ryan's neck of the woods to I ski. Have, you yeah, do any yeah, skiing up there, definitely Ryan? definitely come up here. There's a lot of good uh, skiing up here. I mean, there's three mountains within 30 minutes of my house, which they're not superb, but they work. And then Whistler's like an hour and a half, two hours away. So, Oh, two hours. That's the place that's been on like my to-do list for like my entire life to get up to Whistler, BC. <laughs> do it, man. The lines are big, but there's a, there's a few other resorts up here that are huge and less less lines. So they're all good. Come up, man. That's awesome, man. 
So let's give the folks a little bit of a view, 30,000 foot view of what you do uh, with Freight 360, and then let's transition into some of the business coaching side. Um, But the podcast is awesome. It's super dope. Uh, You guys lay out tons of quality content. It's pretty much like a start to finish game plan and ongoing maintenance of a freight brokerage, whether you're brand new into the business starting out or honestly, somebody that's been doing it for a decade. I've seen a lot of reviews you've got, which are raving to you. So let's let's uh, go over that a little bit. Yeah. Man. It, I mean, the podcast started, I'd say, I think it was four years ago. Nate actually started it. It originated as the Midnight Freight Broker, which was a podcast he had started, you know, I think it was like about four years ago. And then when he left, him and I connected longer than that ago when he was working for LDI and just was trying to headhunt me into the agent world out of TQL. And then we connected, ended up being friends, you know, just through that. And then came to a point where um, I was looking to do something in the podcast space. He was looking for a new co-host. We rebranded. It became Freight 360. And then um, we pursued some partnerships with DAT and some of the other companies. And then DAT, after they started sponsoring us, approached us with designing a course for them. They just had a lot of people coming through their platform and asking for education, coaching, training. So we then built a course specifically kind of for that purpose, for people that were coming in, wanting to get their freight brokerage, you know, licenses, their authorities. And then basically they just kind of came together where most of the content is geared towards people that are starting, but also what Nate and I do on a day-to-day basis. Like my day job is still, I still move freight every single day, manage a book of business Nate still manages, you know, a team of agents and develops that program for Pierce Worldwide. And then I do coaching. So I do one-on-one coaching. And then through Freight 360, we also provide group coaching as well for people. I'd say the group coaching is more on your first year, right? Like the what you're running into, the, you know, the hurdles of, well, how do you get carriers when you first start and your MC is new and nobody knows who you are and you've got no credit and you don't have factoring companies. So a lot of what we do is geared towards that aspect of the market. And then I would say more towards the one-on-one coaching is what I do with more like company owners, established brokers, guys that are doing a couple hundred grand a year, you know, take home and, you know, they want to get to the next level. They want to scale up. They need to delegate more and just work through the, you know, I guess, trials and tribulations of growing a business, right? You you said in the in the green room earlier, Cameron, like, you know, a lot of our business is made up of people that are operators but just end up owning a company, right? And then it's like, well, what is the next step? What do we do? And the insanity around it, right? From managing a book of business to managing an actual business is very different, right? Um, Different things, different risks, different long-term strategies. And you've got to delegate more. You've got to be okay with people making mistakes. So, you know, that's a lot of, I would say, what like I kind of work on on the day-to-day basis on the one-on-one coaching side. Group, again, is more people in kind of their first year to two years, because everybody's running into the same thing. And why we structured the group is mostly because people don't know what they don't know. So oftentimes when I'd be coaching somebody one-on-one in their first year, they don't know what questions to ask. So, and then they're running into the same things. And when they're in a group, somebody asks a question and the other person goes, oh shit, I didn't think of that. That makes perfect sense and vice versa, right? So that's kind of the, I guess, the formal business structure of kind of what we do at Freight 360. We do a lot more educational videos on the YouTube side now too. We do probably like at least one or two a week. And again, geared to the same audience, to the same questions, mostly questions we get through the show or, you know, through our website and stuff. Yeah. And I feel like when somebody asks a question, even though they think it might be a dumb question, there's a, Mm -hmm. there's 
hundreds of people that have the same question, but they're just not going to ask you. They're just waiting to hear the answer. So I think that that's that's awesome. And I I love the evolution of and the availability of technology uh, uh, information via technology. So you can lay out essentially like a roadmap and a course for somebody to excel in their business. Not necessarily. uh, Honestly, I think the the proof of the pudding comes in the coaching aspect because everybody thinks they know what to do, kind of like eating right or kind of like um, golf, right? You watch YouTube and you go to the range and you're like, all right, I'm going to work on this thing and try to get better. But then in reality, you need a coach to give you like actual feedback and kind of keep you accountable and motivated to keep working on and push through that adversity. So um, I, I love that component that you guys are doing. And we take a similar approach. We try to um, we're in sales as well, but we sell through educating, right? We want to empower the buyer, empower the consumer um, to make the right choices and positive choices, but we educate them as to why and hopefully arm them to make the right decision for what they do. So one of the questions we ask, obviously dealing with uh, trucking and transportation is is uh, uh, if you have one, great. Or if you don't, what would a nickname be for a CB handle if you were on the road? My nickname for a CB handle, um, probably go with just the simplest first thing that came to my mind, just like Coach K, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that gets up there in high air too, man, Yeah, <laughs> with his retirement. Exactly. I'm like, hey, I could play year. off oh. somebody that has had a great yeah. career and they've got some pretty good name <laughs> recognition. Not in our space, obviously, but. some big... <laughs> <laughs> No, big shoes to fill, though. I love yeah. that. Uh, That's awesome, man. I'd love to talk about, um, let's look at the brokerage side and maybe the condition of the market. And I know a while back, people were living on the spot market and the rates for the spot market were well above what pre-COVID conditions were. I know they're tightening though. And like some studies that I've seen come out in the last month or two, um, it was nearing pre-COVID conditions. I would want to say, especially for the dry van and the reefer market, flatbed seemed to hold fairly steady, at least a little bit more steady from what I was seeing. But what's the current market look like? And what are you advising your brokers to be looking at and do? I'd say that's pretty accurate. Um, In fact, there's a great podcast that um, DAT puts out. It's called Freightvine. And um, Chris Kaplis does it. He's a PhD at MIT. And he oversees all of the data for um, DAT. And he just did one. It was either last week or the week before on exactly this topic. And it's fantastic. To be honest, I had to listen to it probably three times and take notes before because it's a lot of math on the, on the economic side. But they really outline what happened pre-pandemic, pandemic, and where we're at now, right? And I think one of the biggest takeaways they said is if you literally just took a graph, like let's go back a decade to 2010 till now, and you pull out the pandemic period, we are like exactly where you would have kind of wanted to be in like 2019. And he also points out, he said, you know, it's both sides of the fence, like carriers, if you would have pulled them, you know, whatever it was February, right before the pandemic started and asked them if they would be okay with the market conditions we are in now, unequivocally, both sides would have been happy because they were still above where they were. Shippers were getting reasonable rates. Carriers were finding enough work and able to run businesses. Well, what happened is everybody saw, right? A huge fall off the beginning and then a huge spike and it stayed that way. Stayed that way up until pretty much January of this year. And the thing is like none of those rates were sustainable for anybody, right? Like everybody saw in the news every single day, like goods are getting more expensive. 
like I remember the one that just stuck in my mind was like toothpaste, like container rates and truckload rates to like bring just a good like toothpaste in. They said the transportation cost on a tube of toothpaste were like 30% of what the retail cost was. And like, that's absurd. Like, cause you think how many tubes of toothpaste are in a shipping container, right? A lot of them. It's not like you're shipping like a car, right? So like, it was just astronomical and we we're feeling it. In fact, we're still feeling it. And I've always found it really funny is that like you watch on any of the news, right? Like local news or ABC or whatever you're watching kind of like at night is everybody's screaming that inflation's an issue, right? Oh, it's the end of the world. People aren't going to be able to like buy things. Well, once the market has swung back to where it should be, now they're complaining that that's not good enough either, right? And it's just like kind of absurd that like now we're in the place where we kind of should be but everybody's acting like the sky's falling and it's the end of the world. And the reality is, is like, this is where we should be. This is kind of what it should cost to ship something. It is very much in line with where the market would have trended had we not had this huge, you know, supply of every good ever manufactured during this period of the pandemic. And everybody had more money to spend on goods because nobody was at concerts or restaurants and all the other things that we do that aren't buying things. So, I mean, like my feel is that we're in line where we should be. But that doesn't mean it's easy for anybody because a lot of the companies that have come into business over the past two years have never operated pre-pandemic and they have business fundamentals that aren't sustainable in what is a sustainable market, right? If you've got a guy that's got a business and two or three trucks and he needs $4 a mile on some of these lanes, you know, these huge spot rates to be profitable, like that's not going to work long term. And I know there's a lot of frustration on the carrier side. But the reality is, is like, if you can't operate your business profitably in the current market conditions, what we're going to see is a lot of these drivers are going to go back and work with larger companies. And that's what always happens when the market tightens up, right? It should cycle every year. This hasn't cycled for three years. And now it's going to be painful for everybody, right? But again, I don't think in any way this is like a dire situation. I think if you're running good fundamentals in your business, you don't have massive expenses and you're prudent. Like you will come through this and you'll come through it better on the other side because a lot of people aren't going to make it through. And again, mostly because I think they were operating in a market and everybody feels like whatever they're operating in is going to last forever, right? This will always be this way. We can always just go in the spot market and get four or $5 a mile on any load that's offered to us. And we can have all of the leverage in the world. And the reality is, is like, that was never going to last forever. No, and I'm from the camp and I've been preaching to clients, uh, carriers, brokers, everybody. Now's the time to build relationships, right? Like the market and spot market was good, but take this time when folks are focused over here, build the relationships with either the carriers or the brokers or the whoever you want to work with and use this time now. Maybe even take a little bit less rate to establish that if you have to, because then on the other side, when you come out of it, you're going to maintain um, more stability anyway. And I think that that's a huge piece of what you do on the second part of what you do, which is business coaching, right? I think a lot of folks lack the bu- just the business acumen to know what to do in this. They haven't operated pre-pandemic. You've been around pre-pandemic, so you know what to coach on and talk about and tell them about and prep for. And, you know, you're starting to expose a lot of bad business fundamentals from folks. Um, uh, you know, couple that with high gas prices. Fortunately, I've been talking to some folks and uh, gas is dropping. I didn't see the ATA release this week. I just, I've been traveling and been busy, but they were saying they've seen drops of even close to 50 cents per gallon. And so I think that'll help relieve a little bit 
Um, but it's more than that, right. To operate long-term and be profitable on it. So, um, the other one I wanted to touch on, which I think would be prevalent to the, the brokers and especially like insurance piece of that is cargo theft. Cargo theft has been on the rise. You've heard about it for a while, but now it's like, it, it's more sophisticated. Folks are using technology like cameras and surveillance to figure out what loads are being loaded and what type of goods are being hauled. And then they'll follow a truck in hopes that, Hey, uh, this person's going to stop and take a break, grab dinner, go to a truck stop, take a shower or whatever. And then boom, the, the, the cargo is more valuable than the trailer. Two things that come to mind, which I'll ask you about. One of them is the insurance adequate for what they're hauling. Cause like the, the common thing is, Hey, I need a hundred thousand in cargo coverage. I think that was created in like the eighties or something, who knows. And then uh, the other thing is, is like, what can people do to be more vigilant to prevent cargo thefts? Like, what are you coaching or talking to your folks about or the brokers about or, you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I want to go back to something you said right before this too. And then I'll give you kind of my thoughts on that. And you had said, you know, you had mentioned relationships, right? And I had a coaching call with somebody yesterday too. Um, Guy has done really well. He's only been in the business about a year and a half, 20 years old, just out of high school, but doing very well. I'd say he's probably doing like, I don't know, 40, 50K a month in GP, been in the business maybe a year. But this is a great example because this individual has been able to build that entire book of business through emails, right? Like literally no phone calls, just emailing, reaching out. And like pre-pandemic, that is unheard of. Like that just, you. I've literally met one other person in my entire career that has been able to build a book with no phone calls. And it wasn't really that profitable. This kid did it. But again, it's a market where everybody was dying for a truck and shippers. Remember we had 30% rejection rates on loads, right? So that means one out of three loads that they're expecting to pick up is being given back. They don't have time in that environment to have a conversation, to build a relationship. Like they genuinely are just desperate to get their job done and to get it done at the level they're expected to get it done at. So in that environment, you can do emails. You're right. Like spot markets, you talked about gas prices. Well, guess what? When you're living in the spot market, you don't get a fuel surcharge. You get an all-in rate most of the time. If you're operating in the contract world where relationships and these things matter, you get a fuel surcharge. And that's what we're seeing carriers do. They're literally migrating from the spot market to the contract market, and they're able to now hedge the risk of fuel because they can get a reasonable rate for what it covers the cost of the driver, the cost to run the truck, the maintenance and everything else, and the fuel fluctuates. But when you operate in the spot market, you don't have any of that. So again, a very simple way to look at that is short-term versus long-term thinking. When it's really profitable in the short-term to operate and to take loads in the spot market, people will do that. When that shifts, and that's exactly what you're seeing, these drivers are going directly to shippers and you're seeing less loads hit the spot market. But again, it's a more normal um, mix of those things. There was a report this week from uh, FreightWaves, their index on the you know tender rejection rate. During the time of the pandemic, it was 30%, one in three loads, right? Now it's at seven. And guess what? That's exactly in line with pre-pandemic levels. So again, it's another indicator showing that we're operating kind of where we should. But to your point, like that's exactly what I'm focusing on with clients is relationships, right? It's going to take a little longer because guess what? It's more work to build a relationship. It's more phone calls. It's more rejection. But the upside of that is when you have them, they will sustain the ups and downs of any market. A relationship will endure for years until something out of the something happens, right? But the reality is, is if you live by the rate, you will die by the rate. Meaning if you can only operate when it's profitable, when it's not, you will have nothing. You won't have any carriers and you won't have any shippers. 
because you don't have any competitive advantage, right? And to your next point, cargo theft, also double brokering, both obviously either unethical or just outright illegal, right? Depending on what we're talking about in the scenario, what do you think they do right now? They get way more prevalent because people were able to double broker loads and do these things in a market like that because nobody had the ability to really stop it because everybody was just desperate for capacity. And now that people are able to get these types of rules that should have been in place in the first place, in that in that old market, like there were just so many things happening that shouldn't have happened, right? People operating without contracts, without the right insurance, right? Without anything. And people are just like, if you got a truck, send it. We'll figure it out later because I just need the truck that bad. So again, you're seeing it there. In fact, we're seeing it also in other industries, like even in real estate, right? Like people are buying houses, sight unseen, no inspections, nothing, throwing money, whatever. I'll name my first kid after you to sell me the house, right? That's not a normal functioning market. We saw the same thing in trucking. And to your point, right? Take that and now couple it with the fact that most cargo, again, has gone up in value because of inflation, right? No matter what it is. Lumber, last year, 20, 30, 40%. Those lumber loads, when I started working in the industry, were like 35, 40 grand. Now they're hitting 120, 130 grand. Like I'm seeing lumber shippers that are having to make sure they have spike insurance on their cargo, right? Because these loads that weren't necessarily ever over that 100K are now, it's common to be over $100,000 for a truckload of product, right? And I think it's shifting a lot of the industry. I am curious, like, what are you guys doing as it as it like comes to this on the education side because i know a big part of your business is you know trying to educate the market on that are you able to get ahead of that do you feel like you're getting pushback from carriers for this like i don't want it i don't need it so we get a little bit of pushback and i think that's just from old habits and people still view and it's a product of marketing but still view insurance as a commodity and a necessary evil and i have to have it and you know on the carrier side, they're required by FMCSA and the law to carry it. The brokers to really contract anything are required to carry the broker bond and obviously contingent cargo. And they they hear their friends say you need general liability and um, hired and non-owned auto and all these things to help protect them. Um, and so the education piece, I think, just comes down to having the conversation and telling a story and relating it in a way that they can... Um, understand and relate to and talk to them about real claim scenarios talk to them about things that we're seeing in the market talk about the hot spots for cargo theft so we partner with uh, motor carrier software and they're able to pull up data on theft like hot spots or you know those type of things and so we try to share those with mm-hmm. our fleet accounts and carriers or um, e- even brokers that are working in certain regions it's a good um, topic of conversation we try to have um maybe like quarterly calls, I would say with most clients, not all really require quarterly coaching calls. um, But we try to especially the ones that are growing or trying to expand or trying to um, take their business to the next level, we want to bring value in that resource to them to just talk about we'll talk about anything, but talk about the business, talk about best practice, talk about what they can be doing, talk about who they can be hiring, who they could be working with. Um, There's a bunch of tools out there that you can pull up a carrier and see what their safer scores look like, see what their reliability looks like. And on the carrier side, our coaching to them is like, hey, this stuff matters. So if you're running at a 60% out of service and you get a broker that you want to work with and they pull you up and look at you and then they pull up another carrier that runs at a 10% out of service, they 
you know, your load is 50% higher to not get there on time. Well, that's a bad transaction. And I'll tell you what, Cameron, to that same point, right? Like unequivocally, it's the first thing that I work with when I'm working to teach or coach on that topic, right? First thing I'm doing, in fact, I did it yesterday. I was working with a whole group of dispatchers and I'm like, what's the first question we're asking? Well, what do you mean? We're, We're talking about rate and commodity. I'm like, okay, you're sometimes having a five, 10 minute conversation with the carrier. And I use that as an example. And I'm like, and what if you find out they got a 60% out of service rate? I'm like, you're going to work with them? Well, no. Well, how many times do you think you're talking to that person, right? For five to 10 minutes in a day, five, six times a week, that's an hour you're wasting with people you would never work with. Right. And it matters. It matters a lot. And I understand that like from the carrier's point of view, it's like, Hey, like we're doing the best we can. We've got some older equipment. But again, if you've got a pick, I mean, trucking is commoditized to a point and i think that's where that point ends right it's the reliability of the vehicle the driver obviously but also the insurance and if those three things don't matter or i mean match like with where our requirements are we're definitely not going to work with that carrier right because especially in this market you've got people to choose from six months ago you might have had to use that truck and deal with the guy breaking down and then delay it But now there's four other guys in that same city where that driver is with better out of service, newer trucks, better insurance and better on time percentage. And that stuff matters. And that's, you know, I I try to get that to relate to the carrier side, but the brokers, to your point, it's like just educate them on what the implications are. Hey, this guy's always available. Eh, That's probably not a good thing unless they have capacity to be. Right. There's a reason. And, you know, the insurance piece, it's funny. I actually just um, we retained a client um, from this because he came to us with um, some insurance rate that was insanely less expensive than what we had. Um, We had them uh, with Great West Casualty. And I don't know the name who they came with. Actually, I'd never heard of it, to be honest. I Googled them and like I have no clue who this company is. And I said, do me a favor, call your three biggest brokers and your whoever you work with and just ask them, say, hey, here's what I'm up against. I've got these two insurance options. You know, what would you prefer? And unanimously, it's like you're yeah, you're with Great West. It's like a no brainer. Like we never even heard of this company. Um, mm-hmm. Or if they've heard of this company, they've yep. dealt with claims from XYZ company and it was a horrendous experience. But I don't want to name names and I'm not going to. But. Like there's differences in insurance. Not all insurance is created equal. And that's the uphill battle we face because when you're paying very large premiums, they start to become susceptible to like, man, that's like 20,000 cheaper, but you get what you pay for, right? And when you do have that claim, the cargo claim, the cargo theft, the rejection of load, the wrong temp load, whatever, or uncovered steel, some carriers are going to say, that's not covered. And they're going to be pissed that it's not covered or the broker might be pissed. And then it hits their insurance because they weren't, you know, very diligent in figuring out, is that the right insurance? And all of a sudden it, it's a bad experience for everybody. Makes us look bad, even though it wasn't our fault. Makes the carrier look bad to the broker. The broker's pissed off because now it hits there. And I mean, the whole thing, it just becomes a terrible situation. Well, and that goes back to the same conversation about cost in the market right now with gas prices and everything. There are people pushing back on, you know, more coverage or, the inflation of their vehicle, having it covered for the correct amount, just based on the insurance costs. And I mean, I'd say the toughest and probably best thing we do is try to educate people on what's happening and why it's important. And, you know, the consequence of something happening when you're not actually paying for the right amounts of insurance or the right coverages, whether that's cargo or the inflation on your units. So 
Yeah, it's been an interesting market, but I think that, you know, we're trying to educate people, but we're going to see people push back and we can only, you know, argue with them so much. So I uh, totally agree, Ryan. And, 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 like, uh, what, ahead, what are you doing to help educate the brokers to help maybe have them increase their minimum requirements? Because I know a lot of the people we work with on this side really base their decisions on the absolute minimum requirements that they're told to hold by the DOT or their brokers. And educating them to go above and beyond that is an uphill battle for sure. Are you guys doing anything to educate from that side of the avenue and to see if they can kind of meet the middle somewhere? To be honest, I'd say it's probably more on the carrier side than on the broker side because brokers are usually, they're typically governed by whichever customer they have, not necessarily from like the general risk point of view, because like I've got some clients that are working with um, like very low risk freight right now, very low um, insurance requirements for that shipper. But all of a sudden they pick up a new shipper and they could quadruple, they could double, they could be tenfold, right? And I know like Nate ran into this last week with one of his agents, a really profitable account. And this company was acquired by another company and they want this larger GL policy where it was normally one, now they want like four or five million. Um, so most of the time when I'm working directly with the brokerages on the coaching side, it's digging into where their customers need to be and the value and to, you know, Cameron's point, the risk of the commodity, right? If they're shipping something super high value, like I used to ship almonds out of, um, like California and they were huge high theft. Um, and especially like electronics out of, out of like Southern Chicago, Southern Illinois. Right. So like when I see those, in fact, I was, I'm hoping after we connect, I'd like to be able to add that to our site as a resource for like the high theft areas, because those are the ones that I will jump in and go, okay, like, where's our coverage? Where's our risk? What are our procedures? Because again, thieves, when things get tighter and there's not all this money floating around in the economy, they're going to get more creative. They're going to find ways to steal things and more of them are going to get stolen. Right. And I think that's a big risk on the brokerage side. And to the other side, it's interesting, right? So I live in Florida and I also coach a couple insurance companies, um, actually the owners of them. There's two or three of them, local, more on the consumer retail side. But right now we're seeing carriers go out of business because of a lot of fraud um, with roofs and stuff in Florida where people are just literally carriers are going completely out of business. And that's the thing that we fo I focus on the most with them is, okay, everybody's getting yelled at because rates are increasing in Florida because of carriers literally just going out of business. Well, again, then what you end up with is everybody that is buying insurance is Jen just turning it into a commodity. What you both had said, right? Well, my rates are going up, so I just need something reasonable. So they just start shopping everywhere. But what then starts to happen as it speeds up and people get frantic is you see less of what people need. What Ryan was just saying is asking somebody, why are we buying insurance in the first place? What is, why are we doing this? Are we doing it because we have to do it? Are we doing it because if something happened to the most valuable asset you have in your life, you would have no way to replace it. And if that thing does happen and it costs you an extra $150 a month, or let's say the opposite, let's say you saved 150 a month for the next three years and that thing happens. And let's say it doesn't pay you anything, or maybe it pays you half or 75% of what your house was worth. So now you lost everything and the home you lived in and everything you worked on. And now you got to move into a shittier, smaller house with less money, right? Is that worth the $120 you're saving or the $200 you're saving? And I just don't think people slow down or have the time in some ways, or that the insurance agent isn't doing a lot of what you guys do, which is slowing down the conversation. Why are we buying this in the first place? It is to protect against risk, mitigate it. What are the risks? 
Why do we want to mitigate them? Okay, maybe you're saving some money, but in your instance, if you lose your entire business, saving the $200 a month or whatever that number is, is that worth the trade-off you're getting for the savings? And I don't think that most people are slowing down enough to think about those things, and they end up in much riskier business positions than they ever should have in the first place. But that's why that you guys are providing that valuable resource to the market, because that's what's necessary. People shouldn't be operating just to save a couple hundred bucks because they feel like they're spending too much. Like if you're jeopardizing your entire business to save a couple percentage points a month, like I don't think people would knowingly make that decision. And I think that's what happens when markets speed up and things like this happen. I think you're absolutely right. And it's refreshing to hear that you actually spend some time in your coaching uh, side of the business to address and talk about that because it's part of the overall business strategy. It's actually an asset to the portfolio. Once you get large on the carrier side, at least, and you start running into captive insurance programs where you actually have control and you share in the profit and Mm -hmm. losses of the insurance program, those things matter. And it starts to become an actual performing asset to your company. Um, The smaller guys, unfortunately, they're just not big enough, but they they share in a sense that they're getting insurance in a pool of people, if you will, to help reduce the cost. And like, I, we'll get off insurance here uh, here in just a sec, but it's simply the transfer of risk. <laughs> That's all insurance is. Yep. They're contracts and it's legal jargon and it's it's attorneys that have drafted it and it comes bo- and boils back down to the contract, but it's the transfer of risk. What do you want to pay? What are you willing to pay? What can you pay in the event something's about to wipe out your entire company, livelihood, your home, whatever you want to relate it to? Florida is a terrible market and we we write um, trucking and transportation and commercial in Florida, but I will not touch the personal lines. We've got a personal lines uh, company as well that do home, auto, life, health, and we, we it's not even worth going in there. We stay out. So oh, yeah. But that, that's the insurance soapbox. Let's jump over to um, the coaching aspect, Ben. Let's talk about some things. When you take on a new client, broker, somebody that's an aspiring broker, or even you're, you're talking about coaching high-level CEOs, not even related to brokering. What are the things you do? What are the steps you take? What do you uncover? Um, what does that process look like? I, I have a feeling it's a lot of Q&A, figuring out the goals and figuring out what they want to accomplish. Um, but let's walk through some of those steps. Yeah. So um, from a real high level point of view, it kind of starts off with exactly what you said, understanding where somebody is, where they are, and also where they've come from, right? I'd say the first two hours I spend with any client is mostly understanding as much as I can of how they arrived at where they're at right now. And I'll go back to even high school, college, adolescence, sports, because I'm really big on analogies and using other situations to point out that oftentimes people have they actually have the answer to their own problem, right? And a big piece of coaching we kind of point out, right, is accountability, absolutely. But it's also having an outside perspective, right? Like I have a coach. In fact, anybody I know that is in coaching also works with a coach, very similar to like therapy. And it really, in fact, somebody pointed this out yesterday. They were like, I picked up a new client yesterday and he was like, yeah, like I've been working with a therapist for the past two years and I feel like I need a business therapist because this part of my life got better this part of my life is not improving. And my therapist basically telling me that like, this is causing all the stress in my life now that we've worked through a lot of these things, right? And it really is similar to that because it's different for every person, right? It's unique to the challenges they're facing and also what they want out of life, right? Like I don't take the approach of, let's just get everybody to work harder, more effectively, more efficiently to make more money every day. Because at the end of the day, like we should be living, not living to work, but working to live, right? Like what is it you're looking for in your life? 
what are you looking for? Like, do you want to work 40, 50 hours a week? Do you want to work 70 hours a week? Are we trying to hit this massive goal where we want to pay off student let or student debt, right? Or a house or whatever that is, right? So step one is understanding where they've come from. Step two is understanding if they know where they want to go. And maybe a lot of people oftentimes are just, they're stuck at where they are. Like, I don't have the energy to look into the future because I got to get my head above water now. I'm drowning in this business, right? Lots of money's coming in, but I don't have any time to get to anything, to do anything. How do I scale? How do I delegate, right? So that really determines the course of where we're going to go based on where somebody's come from and where they want to go. And some people will spend the first couple of months just working on vision, right? And the issues that they're dealing with and like helping them cultivate really what they want in their life. Some people, it's just... They've got a clear vision on where they want to go. They can't be it. They, they, they're struggling at scaling, right? Delegation. How do they get things off their plate? Because it's, it's really interesting. We were talking about this earlier, right? In our industry, we've got operators that become business owners, right? In the sales world, you guys, I'm sure, see this the same, right? The people that produce the most end up getting put into management or then end up owning their own companies, right? Because again, they're controlling their book. They've got more profit. They need to decide where they're going to go with it, right? But the reality is, is is a completely different world once you jump from selling and growing a book to managing people and delegating. And I'd say like the biggest thing people struggle with is giving things to another person, knowing they could do it better and knowing the person they're training is going to make mistakes. So a lot of scale is helping people over that hurdle, right? Like you're going to hire somebody and the best person you hire is still going to screw things up. They're still going to make mistakes and they learn. I did. Everyone here did. That's how we all learn as human beings. But for the person that's been managing that customer and that book of business, it hurts so bad or they have such bad anxiety about mistakes because that's what made them successful. That is very difficult for them to let go of these things to actually get their time back in the first place. So, I mean, I would say another really big thing that we often work on in scaling is the delegation piece. How, because if you really want more time or need more time, you first have to get the things off your plate. And that is a very difficult thing to do when somebody has become successful because they do everything themselves and they are also being abused the most, right? Like they're taking the brunt of that. So they come and they want to coach because they're tired of suffering, but they don't know how to get these things or to give them up so that somebody else can help them with it. Um, Just like relinquishing control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like Co- Coach K, are we in a therapy session right now? A business <laughs> therapy? Because this is exactly what I deal with and talk about and uh, actually try to pass down to Thomas and Ryan and, and the rest of my sales and and marketing team and stuff like that. And in fact, Thomas, uh, you know, years ago, he's been with me now. What are we at? Six years, Thomas? Yep. Six years. Anyway, uh, a few years back, he says, man, uh, a couple of things. One, everyone wants to make over a hundred thousand. Like, how do I make a hundred thousand? And then yep. the second piece, how do I become an owner? And I said, well, the key to the first one is do not become an owner, <laughs> stay in sales and do what you're doing <laughs> and let me deal with the ownership component. Because like Ben just pointed out, uh, I as actually a product of that is being uh, accelerating in sales and doing very well up into management and then ownership. And it's a whole different ball game and it's a whole different world. Fortunately for me, I love doing um, self-study and, and reflecting and I read a lot and I uh, take a lot of coaching courses and find seek out a lot of mentorship. In fact, I have a weekly call 
directly after this with a, a, it's called a WAM meeting, a weekly accountability meeting with a good friend of mine across the country in Syracuse, uh, Mike Crowley. I'll just give him a shout out because he's been instrumental in me for um, growth and development and getting to the stage where we started a podcast, delegating, utilizing uh, employees and being okay with them doing it different. I'm not going to even say worse because I don't Maybe like the ego part of me thinks that, but in reality, they're going to do it different and probably better than I would. And I found that when I started getting executive assistance and stuff, what I thought took a long time and what I thought's going to fill this person's uh, calendar, they got done in a fraction of the time. And all of a sudden I'm like, mm-hmm. shit, what do they do now? And they're like, hey, what do you got for me to do? And I'm like, you already did all that? They're like, yeah, we're done. And it's done good. And I'm like, Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I'll find some stuff for you to do. So then I'm trying to figure out what can I delegate. And so Mm -hmm. Ryan and I just had this conversation. Um, To your point, um, money's not everything. Once you reach a threshold, it doesn't improve your quality of life past that. Your your relationship to happiness doesn't improve with the, the amount of money you make above a certain point, right? And then it just becomes what's your motivations. And that's what I struggle with because I'm uh, I, I love what I do and I love grinding and I love hustling and I love like building and expanding operations and all that. And people confuse that with like, gosh, all you do is work and want to make money. And it's the opposite. I, I really don't. I just love building and I love seeing the growth and feeling, you know, just feeling accomplished, right? I couldn't agree with that more. And I think a lot of things you point out too, like resonate with me. And one is like how I operate my business currently, right? Like the thing is, everybody thinks like the goal is to own or the be the CEO, I think, because again, like we hear that in society, it seems like that's what you should be working towards because it seems like the pinnacle. But the reality is they're very different jobs, right? And I know personally, like I've managed large teams I don't want to do that job anymore. I don't want to manage a lot of people. I like managing, to your point, businesses, business functions, the scale of a business, right? Nate and I own Freight 360 and I enjoy being the CEO of that company, right? Now on the brokerage side, I have no desire to run a brokerage because I know that job entails, I'm no longer managing customers. I'm not dealing with business problems. I'm dealing with human being problems. Did Sally show up to work? Did Jimmy leave early? What does this guy's metrics look like, right? Like you're now in the people business, not necessarily the shipping business. And personally, like I just don't enjoy that as much as I enjoy the business aspects, right? Like same thing to your point, right? Like the grinding and the hustle because you enjoy the facets of business, I don't think mean that you're just greedy or chasing the money, right? And one really good example I'll use with clients when they kind of are in that, they call it a hedonic treadmill, right? When you're trying constantly trying to close the gap between what you have and what you want by getting more things. And the reality is, is no matter what you get, that gap will still exist and you will be more tired for it. And then when you get really high to the extreme, and this is the example I'll use, like Richard Branson said this in an interview once. He was like, at one point in my life, I had 30 houses. And he goes, I realized I had not been to 90% of them in a handful of years. And I just sat down and looked at like what we spent to maintain these houses. And then I looked at like how much I would have had to work earlier in my life to maintain something I literally never used and didn't even remember I had. And he's like, I just realized how much of my life was like this. And I'm like, yeah, most people aren't in that extreme where we own houses everywhere, but most people have things they probably have bills associated with that they don't use, don't care for anymore. And they're working very hard to maintain some standard of life that like comparing themselves to the Joneses or what they think they should want. And where that comes out is when I'm with a client and I go, what do you want in your life? And they go, 
well, I want a Bentley and I want this big house and they have all these pictures on their board. I'm like, okay, like, why do you want them? Well, what do you mean? Why do I want them? Because these are like really fancy, nice things. Like, why? What do you mean? You don't want them? Yes. But I mean, like, do you realize if I mapped out the amount of work and output you will have to do to get that back, is it that important that you want to work 60, 70 hours a week for the next five years? We can get there. Is that worth it to you? Do you want to give up going to your child's soccer game? Do you want to give up being able to go out to dinner with your family? Do you want to give up all of these things because that is the most important thing in your life? Or is it because you think that's what everybody's telling you you want? And I would say nine out of 10 people haven't thought past that point. And the things they think they want aren't really that important to them. They just feel like that's what they should be saying to other people. And the reality is, is quality of life, to your point, it increases exponentially when you're on the lower ends of the hundred grand scale. If you're making 25 grand, 30 grand is a huge win and your life changes. If you're making 30 and you make 45, and I've been there too, right? Like it's personal experience. Your life gets way better when you hit the 50, when you hit the 60. It gets way better when you don't have to worry about what you're spending on groceries. But as soon as you've gotten kind of your life's things and your money's going into savings, everything above in that really doesn't change your life very much. Like, I mean, you go to a little bit of a different restaurant here or there. Your car's a little different when you get into it. I mean, is it really providing that much happiness? Is it really worth 12 hours a day instead of seven or eight, right? I just don't think many people will sit down. Yeah. I said, don't pay for the Bentley, pay for more therapy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just funny. I use it as an example because again, like I do live in kind of South Florida. So like I see this every day, right? I see the miserable person at the grocery store in the $300,000 car, right? With the $10,000 purse that is just, you could see they're literally unhappy, right? And you're just like, none of that shit makes you happier. Like it really doesn't to a certain degree anyway. So what type of client would be your ideal client, Ben? Because I know the one thing we all have a limited resource of is time, right? And you only have so much time, so much availability to share and pour in and give to others, um, which is no doubt what your passion is. And I can feel that and I understand that. Um, So who would the ideal person that you're going to help be? What does that person look like? What are they thinking right now? What do they want to become? What do they want to do? Somebody that is not currently okay with a situation they're in, or they are okay with it and they feel like they want to improve it would say the first thing, right? They want change for whatever reason, right? And the second thing is they're willing to do what it takes to get there. Those are pretty much the only two qualities that I look for in a client. Um, again, I mean, kind of their business and what they're doing and where they're at, I'd say somewhere in there. But to be honest, like I've worked with one-on-one clients that have literally just started their career. Like one of the guys, um, Scott Burroughs at TQL, I was a client of mine two years ago. He had been at the company a year and a half, never made more than 45 grand a year. He, within three months of working with me, we got him up to 45 grand a month in take home. He made almost like 350 grand his first year after coaching, right? Never made more than 45 and then killed it. Then I've got, you know, CEOs that I work with that like their goal isn't necessarily to make more money. It's to have more time. So I would say it Mm -hmm. is definitely more the fact that like somebody wants change. They want to do something. They want to improve something and they're willing to do what it takes. The second one, people will tell me that and you find out very quickly they're not. And then we kind of part ways because I don't want somebody spending money or me spending my time with somebody that isn't going to do any of the things they need to do to get where they want to go anyway. Because then I'm just talking to myself over and over again. And I've had that, right? We've had those clients. We all have. 
Mm. Yeah. And it's just lip service at that point. The actions speak louder than words. And everyone says they want to do boss shit until it's time to do boss shit. And they don't really actually want to do it. You know, it's like becoming a boss is like, you're just a lot better at doing the tedious, the grindy, the stuff that like everybody hates that they think you don't do. You actually just get it done and you get it done after hours, before hours, whenever you can. And um, the results speak for themselves. So I, I, uh, I understand. My favorite quote on that, what is not only that one, but there's another one that says, um, a, a company owner or CEO is somebody that is willing to work 90 hours a week so that they don't have to work 40 hours a week for somebody else. And that's usually what it ends up <laughs> in when somebody becomes the owner of a company. Right. They're like, oh, that job's great. And now they're working twice as much just so that nobody can tell them what to do. <laughs> like, uh, I think I've, I probably fall close to that bucket. That and I'm unemployable. Nobody would want me. And the second they're like, hey, you got to do this. Put this report on my desk. Show up here. I'd be like, yeah, that's a big no thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely unemployable <laughs> at this point to some degree. I just I don't think I'm I can ever college, do that again. I don't need those. <laughs> <laughs> um, Awesome, man. What are some things, uh, what's some big things coming down the pipe in your world or what's some things you're excited about either on the Freight 360 side or the coaching side or the education side? I mean, what do you got coming down the pipe or the horizon? I mean, I'd say the bigger things that we're working on, we're actually in conversations right now with DAT with doing a second version of our course, but geared towards trucking companies, more of the smaller owner operators because they have a lot of the same challenges. So I think we're going to be doing either a test into that market or going to be looking at doing something like that later this year. Got some um, webinars coming up with them throughout the year. And honestly, like it's a lot of just doing the same things over and over again and just getting better at it because that's really what most of kind of everybody's life is like, I mean, looking yeah, for like new yeah. and interesting things. But the reality is, is like, get kind of excited over just like what new YouTube videos we're going to do next month or like what new topic or like what's going to be happening. I mean, they don't seem huge, but like, I don't know. It's like when you get to do what you like, you get kind of excited about just going to work and doing some of the what you would consider mundane things. Man, I love that. Every single day is a vacation if you love what you do. And success is boring, right? You can make it exciting, but it's really boring. The actual mm-hmm. um, it, just doing the same thing day in and day out and like being okay with that produces success, right? If you do the same thing, you do it very well and you keep exceeding what your expectations are for clients and you just take care of people because it's a small community, a small world where travels and you do the right thing by people every single day, all of a sudden you become successful or the definition mm-hmm. and Minds there's are successful. A, so I think there's another def- definition. Greatness isn't done in like any one fell swoop. It's just doing something very well consistently is how you get to greatness, right? It's not hitting a grand slam. It's going up and doing the difficult thing every day, even when you don't feel like doing it. And to your point, I, I heard one time somebody said like, I don't even remember who it was, but they said they woke up, it was like a Sunday night and they realized that they just dreaded having to go to work the next day. And I was like, I just don't ever want to feel that ever again. Like I've worked in jobs. I've had terrible jobs. I've been in construction. I've done things that are very difficult that like I never wanted to do again. And like my goal now is to just not ever have to dread going to work the next day and to kind of fill my days with interesting things that, and again, that's why I enjoy coaching because everybody has a different issue every week people's lives are different. They're having different things they need to work on. So no days kind of the same for me, which is nice. Awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I don't know, Ryan, it kind of sounds a lot like my sales calls. I feel like, cause this is what I preach or try to instill in you guys for years is, uh, 
obviously it's like i'm uh, i'm trying to get you guys to push higher on the sales side because we got big commitments for (laughs) things we got to do but it's also quality of life right and that's what i talk about a lot is balance of life and in fact ryan i've i've got him introduced to living your best year ever by darren hardy which uh, addresses business, but it addresses mm-hmm. uh, spirituality, mental health, physical health and fitness, relationships. Like it's your life as a whole. How well-rounded are you? And you can only uh, – what he breaks it down to and what I've done for years now is like three major components or rocks is, is what we'll call them in your life. Like if you did these three things, would that drastically improve your life and would it be your best year ever? And like – Every single thing on my calendar, on my block schedule, because I'm a huge advocate of block scheduling and like mapping a time and protecting time, does it go towards one of those three things? And if it does, it stays on my calendar. If it doesn't, I really got to question whether or not it stays on there. And a lot of times it's a no if it just it, it's the vortex, like the devil's vortex, I think is what he calls it or something. But it's just a time suck. Like it just it's just yeah. eating away your time on what you're actually trying to achieve and improve on in your life. And why that's fantastic too, is it like, I mean, time is your most valuable resource. It's not money. It's not anything else. It's only second to health maybe. And the reality is, is like most people don't look at how they're spending it and then they're unhappy with how they've spent it. And it's like, okay, well, are you looking what you're going to do next week? You just told me how you hated everything you did last week. What's on your agenda this week? Well, I don't know. I never thought about it. Well, if you're you're really unhappy about what you keep doing, maybe we should look at what we are doing and pick out the things that we don't want to do or find a plan to eliminate them in one way or another. Yeah. And other news, there's been a mass exodus of employees from the companies that listen to this. (laughs) I hope not. Hopefully everyone loves, I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of trucking and the trucking industry is they're a different breed. They're a breed I can relate to and they are what make America move. And they're just awesome people, right? They just, they love what they do and it's a lifestyle. They're not, some do it to get rich. Like you can be very successful in the trucking industry and all different facets, but um, a lot of them just love what they do. So I uh, respect that. Yep. Which is awesome. Cool, man. Uh, One of the last things, if uh, you had a billboard and you could share it with the world, uh, what would either be a quote, a saying, a a quote that you've come up with or something like as a go-to that you'd want to let the people hear? It's funny. You you a Tim Ferriss fan? Yeah, this would be a product of Ryan, who is a Tim Ferriss fan, because I know it's one of his one of his like eight or ten questions that he hits on his podcast. So yes, it, oh, I, I'm a huge Tim Ferriss fan, right? In fact, I was literally listening to his weekly episode at, on my lunch break before we jumped on this. Um, and I've thought right. about this. I mean, like the easy answer is to just what I end every show with, which is like um, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Um, which I've always liked. Um, but I mean, if I was going to put a billboard up, um, I feel like if I could just get the one thing that I probably spend most time on in coaching is just getting people to just slow down and think about what they're doing. And I think that act alone would be like the most beneficial. And if you could just somehow summarize that on a billboard, that it was just something simple, like stop and think because there's so much anxiety and worry and rush to get to the next thing and worry about where you were that I think what you were saying, and it just made me think of that when you're talking about your schedule, like you're spending all this time in your life, like just pause for a moment and look at what you're going to be doing this week and start thinking, is this what I want to do? Right. And if it isn't, and you want to go somewhere else, that's the first step in solving anything or making anybody happier or making everybody else's life around you better as well. Right. Like 
thinking about those things. When you get out of your own head, you start to notice those things that matter, whether it's helping somebody else or improving your own situation. So something to that effect, I guess. No, I think that that's perfect. And there's two trains of thought that I I always uh, fall back to. You got to slow down to speed up, I think, which sums up what you're kind of thinking, right? So my other one was, is the opposite for the sales team. It's like, if you feel like you're going too fast, you need to go faster to slow down (laughs) or feel like you're slowing down. But well, (laughs) but either way, Ben, uh, it's been awesome. We, I'm so grateful. I know you're a busy man and, uh, I am so thankful that you took the time to join us today, man. I enjoyed meeting all you guys. It was a pleasure, Um, man. We'll have to have you on our show sometime soon. Because all this uh, promotion and stuff is going to fall in deaf ears. Where do we get a hold of you? How do folks get a hold of you? What's the easiest way to find out more um, for the Freight 360 and all that kind of stuff? And where can they follow you? I found you on LinkedIn. But. Yep. So you can find us on LinkedIn, um, Freight360.net. We have our entire um, library of content is searchable through our um, website. So you can search all of our videos, all of our blogs, all of our podcasts. Everything we've put out is on there, as well as a lot of free training resources are on there. If you want to reach out to us, you can always find me or Nate at info at freight360.net or Benjamin at freight360.net or Nate at freight360.net. Info goes to everybody at the company. That's our website. Again, you can find us on LinkedIn, our YouTube channel as well. Love it. Uh, We'll put that on the notes. Ryan, thank you. Thomas, thank you. Ben. Thank you very much. Uh, Folks can follow us on get a load of this podcast.com. We're on Facebook. You can find us all on LinkedIn, the insurance piece. You can go to Valley trucking insurance.com. Get a hold of one of these uh, beautiful gentlemen, Ryan and Thomas, their insurance agents till next time. Thanks y'all.